This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention, BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Joined today, of course, by my co-host every day on this show, Dan Reese. How you doing, buddy? For By the Numbers. I'm doing great. It was uh, nice to have a, a game that wasn't a nail-biter for once, huh? Yeah, I, I, I think we were all ready for this. And, you know, there's something we enjoy, and, and it, I think Baltimore fans maybe take a little bit of pride in some stat padding things. I know as an Oriole fan, I always had a little bit of, of that in me that I appreciated uh, the Orioles of the 70s and, and uh, 80s, rolling up some decent stats that, that, that were unusual in a way, and the Ravens certainly did that. We're going to get to that. But I'll start with the first number here. One of the most unusual numbers I've seen uh, in the Lamar Jackson era is 70%, and that was the percentage of plays – that the Broncos rushed five or more in week four, 28 out of 40 plays that resulted in a pass or sack. Um, they rushed five plus. The Broncos, they played extremely tight formations. Uh, they shot gaps with linebackers, run and pass. Uh, and they really, you know, dared Jackson to throw the football and nearly obviously stopped the Ravens' 100-yard rush streak, but caused also lots of high-risk and high-reward plays. And it meant the Ravens had a very barbelled outcome in terms of the passing game. They had some great long plays that they got off, and they had a bunch of incomplete passes that were probably more than you'd normally expect in a game from Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely an interesting defensive scheme. Uh, you know, I think it was good to see Greg Roman kind of uh, counter some of that with some of the, the um, you know, the RPOs and, and, and uh, some of the, the passing over the top. Um, but like you said, kind of hit or miss whether you get it out there in time. So mm-hmm. um, my first set of numbers is negative 0.354 and 0.2. Zero six, so those are the EPA numbers for uh, the Ravens for the first quarter 
versus the rest of the game. So the first quarter, the Ravens just came out flat. Uh, they had they had a negative EPA of point uh, negative point three five four for that uh, per play. Um, you know, right after Denver scored at the start of the second quarter, the Ravens sort of flipped a, a switch and started to play tough. And you could kind of see it on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, on the offense, they completely flipped it and had an EPA of 0.2 for the rest of the game uh, per play. And on the defense, it was the same way. They, uh, they were a lot more effective on an EPA basis for the last three quarters versus the first. So it was really interesting how they, um, you know, came out a little flat, but really uh, after the touchdown flipped it, uh, flipped the switch. Okay. So I do have a question relative to EPA. What is the, what is like an average EPA per play in the NFL? Is it zero as I would expect it to be given expected deltas in points, or is it something slightly positive? Uh, That's a good question. I'm not sure the answer. Um, I would assume it's pretty close to zero. Uh, I, I'm not sure how uh, special teams imp- impact it. Uh, you know, the overall should be zero mm-hmm. when you include all plays, but simple offensive plays, uh, I'm not sure if it's a it's a little bit uh, skewed. But uh, but overall, it should be zero. Okay, and and it, it it could be. I guess it could be zero. It could be slightly positive if points are are now higher than they were over the entire period over which the expected points framework was built. So if you if you're taking data for 20 years and and the average points were 20, say, and now it's 23, for example, mm-hmm. it's 15 percent higher. And I don't know if that's true. Then you could have an expectation of of three extra points per game. You've got to make up in the individual play. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, I would expect last last year. I would guess there was a positive uh, due to kind of the way they were calling uh, the penalties on some of the games. So, uh, and also the fans and things like that. So, my my guess is, uh, you know, it depends on the league wide scoring, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, all right, all right, very interesting. Definitely see some things like that come up from baseball from time to time about how much a win is worth in terms of runs in a given year, for example. All right, I'll go on to my second number here. Uh, it's four numbers, actually. 9.8, 8.5, 6.1, and 3.0. Those were the yards per pass play when the Broncos rushed 4, 5, 6, and 7, respectively. So you see declining yards per play as the Broncos rushed more. It is a pattern that is somewhat concerning, I'd say, and that other teams are bound to notice uh, and and possibly try and emulate is the more you rush against Lamar Jackson, the less effective he is. Now, we've seen, interestingly, two games where the Ravens basically had a four-man rush the entire game against them. That was true in Oakland. That was true in Detroit. Um, sorry, Las Vegas and Troy, you know what I mean, but, but it was, it was not true in the chiefs game In the chiefs game. They, they mixed it up a little bit and did all of three through seven, not, not with a heavy bias towards heavy rushes like the Broncos had. Um, and, and this is something I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of that, that this may be a, a something that is a way other teams think they can beat Lamar Jackson. It's going to have to be something that Roman and Jackson will both need to be more prepared to counter uh, as the weeks come forward, you need to have more hot reads and Lamar's going to have to have more ability, I think, at the line of scrimmage to check into a secondary play. Yeah, I think those those two are going to be key. And that's really kind of going to be uh, testing the maturation of, of Lamar. Um, you know, I think the uh, the, the hot reads and, and seeing those blitzers and really kind of communicating out to those wide receivers is going to be key. Um, all right. My next number is 42. 
Duvernay's punt return of 42 yards is the longest in the NFL so far this season. The next longest was 27 yards, so it was by by far the longest so far. Uh, in addition to having the longest so far, uh, he also has the highest yards per return, 18.9. Oh, the second highest, 18.9, only behind C.J. Board, who has just one return for 26 yards. So he is leading, um, uh, you know, leading the pack pretty considerably, other than just uh, just the one guy that has a, a big return as well. Um, not only was it a long run, it was actually the second fastest ball carrier speed per next gen stats at 21.76 miles of the whole per year. Hour. Of the whole year, yep. Yep. So the second second fastest out of anybody in the whole year. So he got going. Um, it was pretty cool on today's presser. He actually mentioned that uh, that he had never returned punts in high school or in college. So last year was his first year. So it's pretty amazing that he's doing so well. Uh, another kind of interesting fact is that the Ravens haven't returned a single kickoff to date. Uh, all 17 kickoffs have been for touch touchbacks, so he hasn't had a chance on those yet. But pretty uh, pretty awesome so far on punts. Yeah, but both those numbers are incredible to me. But they 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 underscore some general trends in the game that I, I think the Ravens maybe need to approach their personnel strategy slightly differently than they do right now. And the first is that um, it seems like NFL teams want to take fewer chances on injury, certainly, but but probably also on variation of starting field position, which is strange to me. It seems like the balance of gain usually goes to the kicking team if you can pooch the ball. And most of the time, all the return teams, anytime there's a chance for that ball to go in the end zone, they're they're told don't return that football, even a yard deep. Uh, you know, it's only when they when they really are are forced into a turn where they're right at the goal line, they're catching it. Then they take off and 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 do the best they can. Uh, but the other thing, the other part about this that really gets me is the NFL. I know they wanted less injuries and whatnot, but the the importance of kick coverage in the NFL is way down. I mean, forty two yards is the longest punt return in the NFL. That's ridiculous through four weeks. How many punt returns have there been? There's been a you know a boatload, and and none longer than forty two yards. I mean. It, it, it what it tells me is is just there's a lot of fair catches probably in the NFL because you can move the ball more easily. Uh, obviously, neither team is highly incented uh, to go for runbacks. The Ravens have, have, have played in some some indoor games where coverage got out kicked. But boy, I mean, if you're constructing a roster now, do you try and you know, carry people just for special teams when that's primarily kick coverage and kick returns? Yeah, I, I think they've lost so much value, and you can really kind of see it, you know, with the with the touchbacks. If you don't want to risk it, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Almost all kickers can do that, so you don't have to uh, try to play that game. And the punts, you know, you can, especially if you've got a good punter, uh, you know, like the Ravens do, then you can kind of control that narrative too. So, um, and you see... We've got so many good gunners that come from different wide receivers, running backs. You, you can see uh, OA played there. You know, I, I don't think that there is much room in the NFL right now for those veteran special teamers. Right. Um, so not that, not like there used to be. Yeah. So, so a place like Anthony Levine, it's very tough. But the, you know, the Ravens really need to find guys who can do something on special teams and also something on, on the other side of the ball, offense or defense. Oh, you're oh, up. I'm up. I'm up. <laughs> and I'm behind again. Let's see. Uh, 25%. That's, 
That's the ample time and space percentage for Jackson, 10 out of 40. Uh, that's a little low for a normal game. You know, you're, you're low 30s now is probably fairly normal. Uh, but this was an outstanding result, in my opinion, for the amount of numbers that Denver sent in this game. I thought they did a good job of trying to block it up. A lot of it was done with eligible receivers. They had uh, 16 Sorry, I don't have that right. 26 set blockers and 10 chip blockers on 40 pass plays. That's 0.9 eligible receivers effectively sacrificed to blocking during this game uh, per play. You get five per play. They averaged 0.9 that were given up in some way, half or full. Uh, Jackson, when he had ample time space, 7 of 10 for 146 yards, so 14.6 yards per play. Definitely picked the uh, Broncos apart, as you would expect them to, with fewer people in coverage. Yeah, that's pretty pretty great to see. And, you know, I think it's going to be important for Roman to keep uh, scheming up those blockers uh, with, uh, you know, with our O-line getting thinner and thinner. And um, mm-hmm. and that's awesome that, to see how well he did, you know, when he got some time. So made him pay for it. That's going to be key. So, all right. My next ones are jumping ahead a little bit to next week uh, to the Indianapolis game. 73%. And 26%. 73% is the percentage of time that Indianapolis runs 11 personnel. That's the fourth highest in the NFL so far this year. And interestingly enough, they had it at 84% for the first three weeks and dropped all the way down to 43% last week. Um, and, and Who did they play? They played Miami. So I okay. couldn't think of any reason that that would really drive it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but either way, you know, I think if they if they keep around that 70 percent for 11 personnel, that's really going to put some pressure on our DBs, which, you know, may be good, may be bad. It may help alleviate some of the pressure that's been on the inside linebackers. However, the second number was the 26 percent, and that's the target share by running backs, which is third highest behind New Orleans and Detroit. Um so Naheem Hines, I believe, is, is the big guy. Mm-hmm. So that's going to put pressure on the inside linebacker. So a little bit competing uh, stats there, and we'll see which wins out on uh, on on whether or not there's a you know whether or not they target our inside linebackers again this week. Now I, the Colts are one of the teams that plays a fair amount of pony backfield. This came up on the Know Your Foe episode today. Is you know they're they're a team that that uh, puts two pure tailbacks in the game a lot. And that doesn't really show up in these numbers. That must be, you know, a, a, a subset of the 27, certainly mm-hmm. for the season that, 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 that they'd be in there. Uh, but it's interesting, unless unless maybe they're counting a running back as a wide receiver. I'm not sure if that would be true, but probably not. I would hope not based on the stats, yeah. but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But anyway, it's uh, it's definitely be a real challenge for the inside linebackers to cover. Uh, yeah, uh, the with... running backs are good at receiving. Uh, Taylor and Hines are, are both pretty legit mm-hmm. threats, so... I've got to get those downhill coverages working well. All right, I'll go to my my fourth number here is 162 and zero, and we're not talking about a baseball season there. That's the number of roughing the passer flags thrown in 2020 and 21 so far. Okay, 162, zero, the number where Lamar Jackson has been the beneficiary. Uh, pretty amazing, really, because if you think about it, 32 teams, you expect every quarterback to get about five over that period. Uh, in, in point of fact, uh, RG3, has received two roughing the passer flags since Jackson got his last, which is on December 22nd, 2019. RG3 had one in the game he started in week 17 against the Steelers and another one in the COVID game against the Steelers. So oddball kind of a, of, of a stat there. Um, 
the thing I, I just is I'm going to say about this is I expect some notification to be going out to the officials league wide about the need to protect running quarterbacks a little better than they have. I, I, I can't imagine that the league really wants to see Jackson take the kind of beating he did in this last game. Uh, it just does not seem reasonable, and it, and it didn't seem like it was consistently called, especially when you look at the uh, unnecessary roughness on Matabike versus the one uh, that was uh, not called when Jackson took a similar dive and actually a very similar spot on the field. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the Ravens actually sent in some plays to the NFL to review this week. So you know, I, I do hope that that comes into play and um, and kind of can level out a little bit because you're right, it, it's it's 100 not not fair. And I think you know it's kind of similar to what we saw with Newton years back. So mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, hopefully the NFL steps in and and uh, levels it out a bit. All right. My next uh, number is 39. That's the number of days between the Denver game and the next away game, which is week 10 against the Dolphins, not until November 11th. Uh, There are four home games and a bye. Those four home games are against two teams that are three and one and two teams that are one and three currently. Mm -hmm. So the, this 39 days is going to be key to see what happens for the rest of the season. I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a huge stretch to kind of get healthy. Uh, you know, some games that should be easy wins against one and three teams, some games that'll be challenges against uh, three and one teams, but it'll really be uh, kind of, you know, we'll really see clearly where things stand. Um, and then once we get through it, the only road games remaining are the three divisional games and a uh, a road game at Chicago and Miami. So we've really gotten through our big travel games and uh, some of the tougher road games. So, you know, where we stand now is, is pretty good when you think about what four games we've had to go through. So, so when this is over, they'll play five home, three road. They'll actually recovered all the way from this one and three start in, in terms of home and road. And then it'll be five and three on the road down the stretch again. So they still have a, a stretch of road games to play. Here's my question. And I want you to kind of explain this as you best can as an actuary. I think I know the answer off the bat. But should Raven fans be happy with a three and one result in these four games, given the opponents? Uh, you should get the two. You know, I think... Uh, three and one I would be okay with I wouldn't be happy with it you know I, I really think that they need um, you know they need to at least do three and one if they split I don't think that that'd be good um, you know they would have lost both the three and one likely lost both the three and one and lost the home uh, advantage on the on these games so you really want to win your your home games uh, especially the the easy matchups so I, I would I would hope for a three and one and be looking for a four nose down the stretch. Okay. You are, you are the greediest mathematician I've talked to today. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can say about that is because I looked at this and I thought you'd say, well, in terms of expected wins, even against the Colts who are probably the weakest of these four opponents, I'd say even the Bengals are stronger than the Colts. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe the Vikings are not sure, but, but you know, if, if you know, if all those teams are approximately equal and the chargers are better, you know, if the Ravens are seven point favorites three times in a row, that's less than a 75 percent chance to win each of those games, maybe 70. OK. OK. And then and then you figure the Chargers game and maybe that drops to 63 to 65 percent for that game. I add up 0.7 times three plus 0.65. I'm up to about 2.75. 
in terms of expected wins. So I'd, I'd be saying I, I can't accept two. I'm happy with three. And happy I'd be thrilled, of course, with four. Yeah. All right. All right, so you're you're nice. You're happier with the three and one than I am. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that's true. Yep. All right, so we'll go to the next one. Here is fifteen and three hundred eighty-five, and those are the number of times the Broncos have been held to seven points or less, fifteen, since the beginning of the nineteen seventy-two season at home. That's important. Three hundred eighty-five games, only fifteen times they've been held to seven or fewer points at home. Remarkable effort by the defense. It's a, a, a historic would be a slight overstatement, but only about once every what? What is that? About twenty five point seven games do the do the Broncos get held this badly at home? About every three seasons. Yeah, they uh, they have a pretty legit home field advantage there. Both the both the crowds and the air and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to to hold them down to that is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the defense played really well, especially the last three quarters, lights out. So that that's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's a, a, a turn for the rest of the season. The first three first three games have been a little bit rough uh, on the defense. They've been challenged, uh, mm-hmm. tough, uh, tough opponents. And then, you know, to hold Denver, that's kind of more what I came into the season expecting, you know, a real strong defensive effort. So, so hopefully that continues. All right. My next uh, and last number is $2,214,040. That's the remaining cap space for the Ravens in 2021. That's the fifth fifth lowest per over the cap. Uh, The reason we're talking about cap space is there's been a number of kind of free agent talks uh, lately, (laughs) whether it it be Gilmore or, oh, I'm blanking on the guy's name uh, from the Cowboys. Um, You know, and and there's discussion about, you know, always being able to – um, you know, figure out some cap space. Well, really, the Ravens have flipped all the switches pretty much possible, and, and they don't have many moves left to create space. Currently, they only have 49 players on the active roster out of the 53 you're allowed. So they're not even bothering to put in four more players because they won't be playing yeah. them, and that's a waste of money. So that yeah. shows how tight they are to the cap, that they're not even wasting that money yeah to fill out the active roster. I've never uh, seen anything like it. Let me no. just start with that. Never seen anything like that. Yeah. That's just wild that they're just like, mm-hmm. no, we're good. We're, we'll put our, we'll play down four guys. That's just a wild. We have a concept. COVID activation. Yeah. We have two practice squads mm-hmm. elevation. Why do we need extra players? Yeah. And the only things over 700,000 only moves that they can make, uh, that would make more than $700,000 uh, of space. Uh, is extensions, which is adding void years um, to players like Peters, Tavon Young, uh, Bozeman Elliott, Ricard, Jimmy Smith, Campbell. But none of those players actually make sense. You've got a bunch of people that are injury risks on the end of their end of their contracts, or you've got guys that you want to go into uh, in, into extension discussions. And you know, adding void years isn't something the Ravens do in, in the past. They haven't done. And those are high risk moves to kind of just put that that money later on. So none of those create very much money uh, as well. So let's let's talk about one in particular and just talk about why it might or might not be a risk. But in, in Campbell's terms, mm-hmm. let's assume that the Ravens know they're not going to try and make an effort to get Campbell next year. He's too expensive. He's too good relative to what they can afford. He's one of the key players. They're going to have to allow to walk, maybe get a big contract somewhere else. But adding a void year to his contract. Does that does that have negative implications on the possibility they get compensation from him for starters? Do they do they take him out of a free agent pool? Because that would be terrible. 
And, and but otherwise, I'd say the dollar amount. You know, all you're doing is moving dollars from next year to this year, and from a dollar's perspective, it would make sense. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure you hit it right there. I think if you add void years, and that means you're cancel, you're terminating contract early. You're no longer eligible for the compensation calculation. So okay, forget um, that. <laughs> yeah. So anytime you do that, that's that's huge free agent, and that's a game that the Ravens play. So th- that's another reason why they don't play that game with the void years is that it's an early termination of contracts, which makes them not eligible for that comp. So who, in fact, makes sense for that? The only guy I see on this list, maybe, that would make sense in terms of maybe not having a qualifying contact would be somebody like Tavon Young, who, if you're... You you could add void years for Tavon Young, which would push $1.3 million into uh, in, into future cap space. So it would create $1.3 million in cap space. So again, that's not a huge amount of money. Uh, you're moving that into next year. Um, you know, which again is another year that they're pretty tight. Um, so it, it, it's just not, it's not that big of a move. Like they could do it and, you know, they could make a bunch of these smaller moves, but it's just not going to make enough room to make any big splash in the free agent market. I could see some, you know, some of these happening still if, if something comes up before, you know, the trade deadline, but, um, but I really, I don't see them as big players, um, but I could see a bunch more free agents coming because I think a ton of teams are are close to the cap and, yeah. you know, they may have to play these games. So well, we just saw two big moves today with, with Jalen Smith day or yesterday. I'm not sure whether he was actually maybe yesterday and um, Gilmore. Yep. Uh, right. and announced Gilmore did, releases. Yeah. Gilmore they had to, had to get rid of because they, they didn't have enough money to pay the in-game roster bonuses. They just like legit didn't have enough mm-hmm. cap space to to pay the rest of the year year years uh, money due. So mm-hmm. it's pretty wild. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. The 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 lengths some of the teams are going to have to go this year, in particular with this COVID cap. We knew it was going to be tough. We knew the Ravens were in a pretty good place to start the year, but the injuries have just decimated the Ravens' cap. They've just absolutely clocked it. Oh yeah. How, how much how much better shape would the Ravens be in? Do you have a sense if if they had maybe suffered five season-ending injuries instead of fifteen, or had five guys on IR? I should say instead of fifteen. Yeah, so I think they're the third highest amount of cap on IR. Right now, they're looking at uh, uh, around $33 million on IR uh, mm-hmm. worth of cap. You know, Marcus Peters, $10 million of that. Boyle, $6 million of that. So that's $33 million that you have <laughs> you have added to your roster. So it's not obviously one-to-one because you're not paying the replacements mm-hmm. that amount of money. But, you know, it's it's a good amount of money that you have to... Uh, double count ones you're paying for the guys on IR and one you're paying for the replacements. So it's, it's significant. Yeah. Maybe a way to think of it is you have to bring in 10 vet minimum guys. And it's probably somewhat like that. I mean, maybe they're playing somebody like maybe Justin Houston, 2 million or 3 million for what he's going to do instead of, uh, it's a little bit higher, but, but maybe it's 10 minimum vet minimum guys. That's 10 million of cap. I mean, that's ridiculous amount of cost from these injuries. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that was your number, so I am now due for another number. 
And I think it's the last number of the night, which is 43. Anybody need an explanation of what that number is? <laughs> 43rd consecutive 100-yard game. Uh, I, this, all we really want to do is have a discussion about record ball and, and whether or not you think it's a good idea or not. I, we didn't set this up to each take one side of this argument, but what's your feeling about it, Dan? Uh, about whether they should have gone for it or, or whether it was okay? Um, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, you know, I... I didn't think it was going to happen. I was watching the whole game, kind of mm-hmm. counting down on that drive. I'm like, uh, the numbers don't add up. It's going to be 99 <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if, if they run. Uh, you know, what I don't think would have been okay is to take a delay of game to get five yards. And yeah, then did you do catch it. that? So yeah, the announcer actually suggested that. That, yeah. that was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. No, I'm not okay with that. But if you get another <laughs> opportunity, go for it. You know, the other team didn't have to give you that chance and you made plays to stop it. So, um, I, I think it's reasonable. I think every game has a certain amount of luck to it and a certain amount of, um, you know, uh, you know, how, how the, you know, how it just ends up with the record. So um, it, it's kind of crazy that that happened on the tying game, but uh, I'm kind of okay with it. So, yeah. So I, I have a couple of things I would need to say about it. The first is that I thought it, it wasn't a Neil minus one. It was kind of like a Neil plus five. If you watch that that play, complete brother-in-law play, nobody's really blocking too hard on it. You know, it's a student body left play. They weren't even really engaged in the play defensively. They had two guys come over. Andre Smith blocked one. So the fact that Andre Smith got a good block, you know, nobody's really trying, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's, but it, was a, it was a rare good block by, by him. And then, you know, Jackson just sat down after five yards. It's not like it was a big, you know, hard-hitting play or anything like that. It was a record ball play. And I think if you look at it the other way and you look at what I think that Fangio is in part upset by is the fact that he couldn't take a Pyrrhic victory from this game and say, hey, we stopped the Ravens' 100-yard streak. You guys should take pride in that. You know, can't do it. Well, they stole it from me. Boo-hoo-hoo. I'll give you the third thing. From a, from a backward-looking perspective, I did not like Harbaugh's explanation that he did it for all the coaches and players that were here before, and they deserve a part of this record, and you know it was very hard to scheme that up. Well, all that's true, but I think the forward-looking is what matters, and in this case, I think it's an opportunity to unite the team around this facet of who they, who, what their identity is and say, hey, look, we're going to block like a raven if you're around here. Look, I went out and, and, and extended this record for you. But you better take this as as a warning. You guys better block better, and you get her, you better do all the things necessary in the coming weeks to make sure this happens. Huge us versus them thing, and I do like it from that perspective. Yeah, definitely the uh, you know us against the world mentality, and uh, you know I, I, you can definitely see that in in the news that's come out afterwards. So it, it'll be interesting to see how how long that keeps going. So. All right. Always a pleasure. My friend and co-host, Dan Reese, uh, where can folks find your work? Yeah. Uh, out on Twitter, DP Reese 8, D-P-R-E-E-S, and then the number 8. Uh, just, uh, you know, happy to have any discussions about football there. Uh, always throwing up some stats and some graphs and, uh, you know, just talking Ravens and NFL in general. All right. Outstanding. Folks, if you want to get on a uh, 25 years podcast, looking back at Ravens history, uh, shoot me a DM, couple bullet points on like what you want to talk about, individual player, some trend, some scheme. Of course, not Mount Rushmore of the Ravens, not that sort of stuff. We're not, we're looking for un, not commonly discussed topics about Ravens history. Uh, please uh, shoot me a DM on that. Dan, thanks again. Always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.